listening to Power Producers Shop Talk, where we are refining and redefining the sales game by equipping you with the tools you need to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. Tactical skills that will help you provide deliverable value to your clients and prospects. Here, these are conversations that will differentiate you from your competition. Now, if you don't want to be different than your competition, probably should just go ahead and shut this off. And action items that you can provide to take your prospects and clients to the next level. Like when we audit the mod and get and do the mod master and and give them the actionable items that they can that they can do in order to lower their cost of risk. This is Power Producers Shop Talk. Production redefined. Reasonable and what wasn't. And and I think that you know, that's, that's spot on. And, you know, these people that we're talking with don't necessarily understand what their exposures are and what they can even do about them, um, you know, when they're uncovered. So I, I do like that what we're able to provide is something tangible, action items that they can do. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to Power Producers Shop Talk, episode 16, where we are going to talk about understanding fee for service. Yes. And I think it's important to delineate and differentiate and pontificate on... <laughs> dude, Matri- sorry, what about matriculate? I was watching a little Al Sharpton this morning, and I just... <laughs> just actually, I was... Get your day, get, day started off pretty light there. I was. Well, it was inside the framework of Mr. Deeds, so I'll bring the beers. <laughs> I'll bring the beers. But anyhow, now, I mean, we're. Gonna, I think it's important to understand the difference between fee-for-service as an agent versus charging broker fees in addition to, like some states are being able to do. That's not what we're talking about here. So before you send me a bunch of mail telling me I don't know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I'm just making sure you know what I'm talking about. And I mean, I think it's a big deal for agents to be able, you know, piggybacking on what the episode is that actually dropped this morning on disclosing your compensation. I think that Mm -hmm. agents out there in the middle market really just don't understand what a great tool fee for service is. I think a lot of them probably don't even know that it's an option. I don't think they do either. And, you know, so that's why we're going to tell them about it today. And I'm hoping that more than 1% of you actually take action on what we say because it can change your career. Um, Yeah, I mean, when you first explained it to me or or when we were first talking about it, I think it had to do with – the first example I remember was with with the solar company, um, with the Bulgarians. When when you started talking about, you know, fee for service and I was like – that, that's the first time I remember hearing about the concept. I was like, hmm, that's pretty interesting. That could definitely work, especially in this situation. It's obviously it's very situational. You're not doing that. <laughs> and and then it didn't work. <laughs> well, yeah, it didn't. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but maybe, all, maybe not just example, but yeah, <laughs> that's what I remember all, you talking about it. All things being considered, you know, they looked like a very stable company on the front end. So we, we had no way of knowing. No, and so we'll get into a little bit about that because it is one of the pitfalls I want people to understand. Right. I'm, not, I'm definitely not leading with that. So I, I go back to, um, you know, my career and how I learned about fee-for-service was really at the first agency that I worked at because they had been – this was the second or third iteration of this agency. 
um, after a couple of times of being acquired and then sitting out a non-compete and going back and sitting out a non-compete and going back. And um, they had represented national and international accounts. And I think it's important to know that that's how the big boys play, right? So if you go to like Marsh, Willis, Aon, any of these places, they're all pretty much fee-for-service when you start moving further and further up the food chain in terms right. of account size. And the reason why is because at some point, you built the service platform to handle that account. There's really no reason for you to continue to get paid more and more money just because they're growing when you're really not doing more work at the same rate at which they're growing, right? So, so you just like plateau at some point in terms of service. Yeah, I mean, we represented an international restaurant chain that everybody would know if I said the name. And, you know, you're talking about a few million dollars, millions of dollars in premium. And the account was capped at a service fee of about 350000 bucks. If you would have gone in and put that thing on commission, the commissions would have probably been over a million dollars. And I can tell you after watching how the service platform was built out, how we interacted and all of that, there's no reason that they should have been paying a million bucks for what we were delivering to them. And it was good stuff that we were delivering, but it just goes to show you there's that point of inflection that when you reach that, Mm -hmm. you're not, you're not going to be on commission anymore. How do you determine what that is? Maybe you'll get into this, you know, in a little bit, but you know, I think really it goes back to um, the same thing we always talk about. We want to be, viewed like an attorney or an accountant and they charge by the hour and it goes into the pod, the other podcast that we had recorded about, do you know your hourly rate or what are you working for an hour? Right. Right. Same thing. So when you go in, it's almost like you're building out your budget of saying, okay, this place has X number of units. We know based on experience that it's going to require 1.7 man hours per unit per year. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if this is how they figured it out or not, but this is how I would figure it out. Right. And say, that's how many hours it's going to cost. And then I would say, okay, let's multiply that out by our hourly rate of $250 an hour or whatever that happens to be. Mm-hmm. And then multiply that out by the number of locations they have. And you can come up with a reasonably accurate number. I mean, that's how I would take the approach is I would look at it and say, okay, Let's let's see what this looks like. But I mean, there's so many things that we can get into in terms of rabbit holes and com- in, in making this a competitive advantage, right? So, for example, let's say that I go in, an account has a lot of hair on it, and they're getting ready to get wailed on with a premium increase. Mm-hmm. And I know that I have heavy lifting. I know I'm going to have to do some work, but I also I want to have a long term play with this this prospect. I don't want to just get them for a year and call it a day. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll look at it and say, okay, if I were to take commissions on this account this year, it would be 75,000 bucks. I'm going to put some skin in the game. I'm going to show them that I want to invest for the long term, And I'm going to explain this to them point blank. I have no problem covering what my compensation is for the agency when I'm talking with anybody. And so I might look at Mm -hmm. that and say, we're going to do it for 50,000 this year. And, People listening might think that I'm nuts, that I'm taking a basically, you know, 30% pay cut, 33% pay cut. But stay with me for a second. I'm going to invest some money into that account this year in terms of my time, and I'm going to start cleaning it up. And we always see some really solid forward progress 
in year one. Then we see mm -hmm. more in year two. Well, what happens most times is by year three, we will have done such a good job that the mod is actually starting to get traction. So workers comp would go down. Okay. And you know how that mm -hmm. we set it up and I'll get into the nuance of what we do with workers comp in Florida, since the rates are, have the commissions embedded, but everything starts dropping and all of a sudden you run the calculation and your commissions would be 30 or $35,000. Well, right. I've already established the baseline that my fee is going to be 50. So if we go in and do our job, and the premiums on the policies continue to drop as a result of favorable loss experience, I don't think I should take a pay cut as a result of that. So my worst right. case scenario is in the long term, my fee has been established. I'll already make more money on fee than I would have on commission because I set that. And in many cases, I'll actually get a raise on that. Now, right. I, again, I've got a lot of insurance salespeople who haven't quite made the jump to trusted advisor mentally yet. And so they're already thinking to themselves, well, I would just go in and do it for the commission and it would save that client a lot of money. Well, no, it wouldn't because you're never going to get into that account at that point. That's part right. of the deal, right? Is you you tell them that you're going to put some of that, take some of your compensation away because you're going to invest in them personally as well. And you're building the loyalty bond over all that time. Yeah, there are people that could come in and take over the insurance relationship and and put the commission back in. And overall, the cost might be lower, but these people don't have the systems in place to be able to drive the, the change and maintain that change once they drive it. So I don't ever worry about that. So one of the main reasons why I do a service fee is A, I can predict it. I know what my cash flow is going to be. And so for me, when opening an agency, that's paramount. If I mm -hmm. can go out and sell business on service fee for the first two years as opposed to commission and know that I can control when I bill my client, then I can predict my cash flow and it helps me scale the agency a lot better because I know what I'm invoicing every month and what mm -hmm. I should be getting back. The other reason that I like to do it though, is to establish that benchmark for here's what my compensation is going to be. And then we're never going to go below that. And in fact, it makes sense when you're talking to your client or your prospect to just say to them, look, this is my fee. At some point, I'm going to do such a good job that your commissions or your premiums rather are going to drop significantly. Mm -hmm. And if I were on commission, I would take a pay cut because of that. Right. The it's and like the, the reason, example you always use, you know, especially relating to the workers' comp about how it's backwards. And you, you right, know. and so you just you lay that out for them. Look, I'm going to work really hard for you, but when the premiums drop, I don't expect my compensation to drop. If anything, if I drop your premiums by one hundred and fifty thousand bucks, I'm probably going to ask you for ten thousand dollars more a year as a reward for that. So that's that's one way to look right. at it. Now, in Florida, it's different because, you know, it's very, very clear in the law that we are not able to take a fee and a commission on the same policy. Now, in other states, you can actually charge broker fees in addition mm -hmm. to it's like Texas is an example. If you have a small ENS policy that you're maybe going to get 50 or 100 bucks of revenue on, you know, like something ridiculous and you decide, you know what, this isn't going to be worth it. I'm going to charge a $500 broker fee. Or I don't even know that that's legal in Texas as far as 
how much you're allowed to charge, but you're putting extra money mm-hmm. on there because you already know I'm not going to make money on this. Another primary example of people who charge fees are agencies that do non-standard auto. So they do the, they're writing the 10, 20, 10, PIP only, whatever. And so mm-hmm. in some states where you charge broker fees, yeah, you'll place that policy, but then you're also going to charge a fee in addition to what you would get in commission because an overwhelming majority of those policies cancel within a month or two anyhow. So that's how you actually are able to keep revenue inside your agency. And what's nuts is the people who do that really, really well, they're collecting three, four broker fees from the same person every single year because they just right. keep placing coverage, canceling, placing coverage, canceling. I like it because I think it gives you the opportunity to differentiate yourself and it starts a conversation that otherwise wouldn't start. So if agents don't know that that exists in the middle market, it's highly likely that the clients also don't know that that exists in the middle market. And so I can go in and explain why it makes sense. They pay their attorney hourly. They pay their accountant hourly. We are going to be as valuable to their organization as either of those two occupations. And so we want to be paid a service fee that we bill you direct. And you have to line it out and explain to them that what you do is you go to the insurance company and, and tell them that you want to write their policies net of commission. And when you do, the premiums will drop by the percentage that would have mm-hmm. been commissioned and that you're just going to bill them directly. Right. They like that. The other thing is too, it, you know, it, it helps them determine, well, I'd rather you bill me quarterly or I'd rather you bill me monthly or whatever else as opposed to whatever the payment plan is from the carrier. So having that conversation is good. But in Florida, the issue that we run into when we do have that conversation is we can't charge a fee and take a commission. And so on the same policy, like you said, correct. Yeah. So, so what you have to do is you have to very clearly identify what the things are that you're doing to charge a service fee. And if you're including policy negotiation and placement, you have to list those policies on that service fee agreement to be very clear. Look, I'm not taking commission here. So if you're ever audited, people can come in and say, okay, no, that's net a commission. Obviously that's contemplated in service fee. And so with workers comp is where it gets a little tricky because the rates are mandated by the state and the commissions are already built in. So if I go to an account and I look at it, it's going to be 50,000 in fee but 25,000 of that would be contemplated in, I should say 50,000 worth of work and 25,000 of your compensation is embedded in the workers' comp rates, mm-hmm. then I'm only going to bill them for every other policy to be handled inside the service fee. And I'm right. only going to bill them $25,000 because I don't give them any efficiency by charging them a fee on the workers' comp and telling the carrier to net the commission because what the carrier is going to say is, okay, well, we won't pay you any commission, but the rates are the same. Well, right. I want my client to have some level of efficiency. So if my fee is going to be 50 and 25 of it can be contemplated inside of rates that don't get adjusted anyhow, then it makes more sense for me to do that. Right. One of the roadblocks, one of the issues that you run into is not getting paid. You know, I mean, that's that's what you you know, we were alluding to just a second ago. You know, we had a great company that we thought was very financially stable. You know, we build them, you know, a a healthy fee, well over one hundred thousand dollars. And essentially, they quit paying and now have filed bankruptcy. Right. Right. And we have and we have a receivable 
of over $100,000 for that. <clears throat> By all accounts, going in, very good sector of business, uh, seems to be financially sound and have plenty of work. I mean, dude, right. we, we yeah, toured no, their no way of, yeah, There's we, no way we would ever know. Went to their job site, everything, everything checked out. I wanted to ask how you determine, you know, obviously we're doing this for middle market accounts, um, but how you determine uh, who, who is a good fit for fee for service. And yep. then I, I wanted to also talk about um, the uh, like splitting of any, of anything recovered so that we can get back up to maybe where we need to be. If we, if we gave them uh, if we took a haircut on the front end. Yeah, no. So what was the first one? Um, just uh, like how we decide who we're going to do this for. I mean, there it, yeah. it's a case by case scenario, obviously it's not like a cookie cutter situation. Yeah. It's a case by case scenario. I think that you, it really is not going to be in that lower echelon of middle market. So I right. would think that maybe the, 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 Accounts that are the most ripe for picking on a service fee is probably twenty-five to fifty thousand in agency revenue. You get a little bit below twenty-five thousand, and it just doesn't make sense, and they're mm -hmm. not really going to comprehend, you know, and understand what you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And there's not enough meat on the bone. You get a north of fifty thousand, then these businesses have already been exposed to a service fee arrangement, or somebody has right. probably pitched it to them. So, you know that that makes it to where it doesn't make sense to, I mean, you could go after that business, but just know you're probably going to have to quote a fee anyhow, as opposed to taking commission on those accounts because you're dealing with savvier buyers that know how to cap their exposure. Um, so that's what I look at. I, I look at what kind of businesses it is, how, um, you know, so one thing I've learned, HVAC companies, not good candidates for a service fee. And the reason why Interesting. is because, you know, HVAC companies in particular are notorious for having cash flow issues because they don't open their business right. I just had a, had breakfast with a client this morning who runs a very successful HVAC and plumbing company, and we were talking about it. But I mean, my perception after dealing with AC contractors for a number of years now is if you don't open the company right from the beginning – It'll never get fixed. It can never be corrected because they bury too big of a or dig too big of a hole. For so what do you mean by like opening it right? Like in terms of cash flows, you're talking? Yeah. So what happens is if you think about it, we don't think about this stuff because we don't do it for a living. But once you get hosed by one of them, then you start digging in, right? So, you know, HVAC in Florida is busy from like March till the end of September. Right. Even into October, November, December, oh, dude, January, shut my February. AC off, bro, for like three months sometimes. And just yeah. So what? Yeah. What happens is these guys are living high on the hog for four or five months, and you know it's like everybody when they get their tax return or their stimulus yeah. money, man, they're not buying cheap particle board furniture and DVDs for their <laughs> entertainment center, right? It, but I mean, in all seriousness, that's what they're doing, and they're right. not saving for the lean months. And so what happens is you get into October, November, December, and they're having to lay off staff. They're racking up credit because they don't have cash flow to pay their bills and all of that. Mm. And then March comes around and they hit this big wave of cash again. And you would think, oh, well, this is going to solve all the problems. It's not because what happens is they've dug that hole in credit and gotten behind on everything. So all of the money they're making this season to is to pay up. for everything in the off season. And now you don't have the ability to save anything 
for the next off season. So it's this never ending cycle right. of just not knowing how to budget money and be disciplined with it. So HVAC companies not going to offer a service fee in most cases, unless it's somebody who's already in my book that has been in my book for a while and has proven they can handle things. You know, I'm just not going to do it for that reason, because there's only been a couple of times in my career where I've gotten hosed. That there was one in the HVAC. Like that? You, I knew you were going to ask me that. And I really I don't know. I'm trying to think. And I don't, I don't really, I mean, AC makes sense, especially in Florida, because. Uh, the only other thing I could think of would maybe be like um, agriculture accounts where strawberry season is really yeah. big. And then all of a sudden every, because, because you deal with a lot of migrant workers too. So you're, sure. they're going to be gone for two or three months. And then for the other six or seven months they'll or eight months or whatever, they'll be working, but that also has issues that, I mean, different topic for a different day, but right. just with payrolls being reported and, and all of that stuff. The other thing, though, I think that's important for agents to understand is that you can be a lot more creative with how you're compensated with a fee. So yeah. it's no secret that we're going into accounts that have mod issues. Right. And it's no secret that they have claims issues on other lines of coverage or whatever else because – that's our MO is to go in and get that fixed. So it makes it a lot more attractive and it gives the perception that you're a hundred percent on their team. And you are, you have to be to max your compensation, but giving a fee allows you to offer two different options. Mm -hmm. And you could go in and say, well, look, here's what it would cost for you to have our suite of services, including the placement of insurance. And this is the fee and we'll net the commissions out. Da, 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 da. But mm -hmm. You know, if you want to be a riverboat gambler, I'm willing to put some skin in the game. And so to give you the example I always use is the egg farm up in North Carolina that I wrote. And we went in there. They had been paying a quarter of a million a year in commissions. And it was because it was roughly $2.5 in premium, mm -hmm. excess and surplus lines for the majority of it. But Oof. in looking at the program – what was driving the majority of the premium was the fact they had 86 million in total insurable values on the property side of the house. And that was business income and just total, you know, business personal property they had 5 million chickens, but the construction for a laying facility at that time was frame. It was really crappy construction. So the rates were through the roof. Hmm. And my philosophy was, look, they do have some issues on comp. They have some issues on fleet. But we don't need $250,000 to drive change because we actually had boots on the ground in North Carolina like an hour from where these, this place was. So we could have somebody there on a regular basis to do the risk management from, visit. From the carrier or? or, or no, no, the internal. Somebody okay. that was on staff for us that just happened to live there it was coincidentally happened was having, massive egg farm in north well, carolina yeah and they were having to fly to tampa to service the accounts down here so they'd fly to tampa for a few days during the week service a bunch of stuff here then maybe service some of the peo clients in different part of the parts of the country but anyhow we knew we didn't need two hundred fifty thousand bucks and so when i went in to talk with them at the closing table um you know i'm not going to get into all the details of the sales presentation and everything but i walked in and it was the chief operating officer, chief financial officer, and CEO of a third-generation company. 
Mm-hmm. And so we, we go in and we're setting up to sit down. And I said, just out of curiosity, you know, we introduced ourselves and I knew who everybody was, but just from a formality. And then I had one of the, the brokers that we had that was handling the property piece traveled with us to, to present his piece. And I asked him, I said, uh, when we sat down, is this everybody? And they said, yeah. I said, well, is your risk manager not going to join us? And they said, what do you huh? mean? I said, is your, is your risk manager not going to join us? And they said, what's that? We don't have a risk manager. And I said, well, you're paying $250,000 a year to an agency to represent you. I really hope they're doing more than just placing policies. Right. And they said, no, that's all they do. We might see them one time a year outside of renewal. Yeah. And I thought, oh my goodness. So our whole premise was, a, we don't need two fifty. I imagine that there's so much of that that goes on, though, too. It's, it's, it's insane. Blowing. It's insane. And so, basically, we said, "Look, we don't need two fifty. We need eighty-seven five. If we can, if if we can get eighty-seven five guaranteed, we know that's enough for us to deliver everything we need to do." And by the way, they had averaged four hundred and thirty-seven thousand dollars and some change of out-of-pocket loss costs for the three years prior. Jeez. So we said 87.5, but if you're willing to let us put some skin in the game and have an opportunity to bonus out, we'll do the same deal, but we'll take 75 in guaranteed compensation. And then for every 100,000, we drop total out-of-pocket loss costs. We get a $10,000 bonus and we'll cap our total compensation at 100,000, which means your worst case scenario, if you pay me 100, is that you've saved at least Twenty five or two hundred and fifty thousand bucks. Right, it's a no brainer, and so that's what they did. They said, "No, we want to go with that route. Obviously, we want to get the best results we can, and we understand that it's going to be better for us to do that. We're going to actually we'll pay you more, but they pay way less overall." And so we went in that first year, and we were able to get out of pocket loss costs dropped to like thirty six thousand. And then the next year it was thirteen, and then the next year from, it was like from over four hundred. Yeah, and then the next year was like six. So we go into renewal and the COO is like, you guys earned your bonus last year. I got a check for you. And I said, yes, sir. And he slid it across the table. We didn't have a contract. We did a handshake deal. And um, he said, I want to know if we can do 87.5 this year. And I was like, yeah, we're going to have to because there's no way else for me to bonus out at this point <laughs> based on the results that we've had. But they liked that because that at that point, we sent them the message that we are so good at what we do that we will put compensation at risk to get you results, mm-hmm. and, you know, because of it. And, and right. that works really, really well. Now, what you brought up in terms of what we do to bring money in, that's actually something I probably want to talk about in depth on a different Separate episode. One. Of yeah. But the fundamental philosophy is get into an account early when you're not um, going to be able to get commissions. And, you know, the other thing too is you can actually look at this from a service fee perspective, but my MO is if I get into an account 10, 11, 10 or 11 months before renewal, essentially mm-hmm. right after the other renewal, I'm willing to invest at some level to help them, but I also need to have some kind of cash flow coming in. So because we lead with the experience mod, Many times we're going to have the opportunity to file aggravated inequities or find credits missing from policies or whatever else yep. and then go back and recover that money. So one way that we can get compensated prior to a renewal 
is to find money, project what we're going to find, and then invoice them for that, you know, for, for our share. We will typically pitch it as, as a 50-50 revenue share where if we find $100,000 and get that money recovered, they get 50, we get 50. Mm-hmm. The other thing too is with a service fee though, take that whole found money thing out of it with a service fee, you can also get paid. So I can go to the CFO and say, look, we are not going to take commission when this policy renews, but I'm going to need you to invest to give us a head start to get everything where it needs to be prior to getting to the insurance transaction. And so we need to bill you a monthly service fee until renewal. And then what you're going to see happen is once renewal hits, your commissions will be stripped out of the renewal and you'll recover that money that you've spent ahead of time paying us a service fee. Yeah. Yes, truthfully, you're going to double dip. I mean, the other agent's going to get commission and you're paying us, but that'll go away going forward. And, right. And so that works too. But there's a whole lot of stuff you can do inside of you know, service fee arrangements that you just don't have that flexibility. And again, it gives you the ability to change perception. It gives you the ability to start a conversation that you otherwise are not going to have. Nobody's right. going to have that conversation with somebody. Yep. It's good stuff. Solid. I don't really, yeah. I really don't know what else I can talk about regarding service fee other than no. I'm going to put the disclaimer on there one more time. You need to check with your individual state as far right. as what the regulations are. I can only speak to the state of Florida and, and tell you how we use them in our agency. So it, it'll give you some creative uh, inspiration, hopefully, but you still need to check with your DO, the DOI and make sure that uh, whatever we're talking about translates to your area. Don't go telling your insurance commissioner that we said it would work because that's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> And with that, I think we wrap up, man. On to the next one. For sure. Everybody have a good weekend. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Yeah, put them up. You've been listening to Power Producers Shop Talk. You can follow us at the Power Producers Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And if you want to take your game to the next level, check out our commercial insurance training course at killingcommercial.com or visit Amazon to pick up a copy of our international best-selling book, The Extra Two Minutes.